Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, November 13th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 to 31. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to give our introduction before I read the passage and then pray. But the title of the sermon, and really we did this before in Hebrews chapter 6, and we've seen the warning passages throughout, and so this, a lot of this you will have heard already if you were here for that particular sermon. But the title of the sermon is it's pretty easy. I'm not very creative. It's just from the text. First truth is apostasy. So what is it? Second truth is these are the consequences of apostasy. And so that's the title of the sermon, Apostasy and Its Consequences. So in this letter, though, um, in the book of Hebrews, this, the author, he is presenting Christ to these people. Um, and he is saying to these Hebrew Christians that Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. And throughout the letter, he is presenting Christ as the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We spent many chapters there. Look back at uh, verses 19 to 22 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. That's what we do as Christians. And we have great confidence and we draw near to God. That is faith. And apparently, as the author of Hebrews was looking at that group of folks there, he saw certain signs that maybe they were on the verge of falling away, or as he says in another place, drifting away. And this is apparent because some of them had neglected or had forsaken the gathering together of God's people. At verse, look there at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And so... He was seeing some of them were moving away, not meeting with God's people. And that was, that's the context. And by not meeting with the people of God, they were neglecting the means that God uses to build them up and to sanctify them. And by not meeting together, they were neglecting the means of God in their sanctification. And in verse 25, by not meeting, they gave up the encouragement that the other believers were to give them. They gave up, as we saw last week, the means to stir one another up together in love and good works. And so in not meeting together, they neglected the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. They neglected the Lord's Supper as we take monthly. And I think that they knew that a day of judgment was coming. I think this, this book, my opinion is that Hebrews was written before 70 AD and they knew that 
that something big was coming in 70 AD with Jerusalem as it would be destroyed there by the Romans. Yet, in spite of all this, they persisted, some of them, and they turned back to the old system under the Mosaic Covenant, or the old covenant, Mosaic Law. So therefore, in verses 26 to 31, he warns them again. And so he warns us again in verses 26 to 31. He warns them against apostasy. He warns them against judgment and the judgment to come. So let me read verses 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So there's the apostasy. And then verse 26, here's what is expected. This is what those who commit apostasy wait for. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And let me say also, it's not just apostasy, but it will be eventually one day all of those who reject God's Son. Then verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so with that in mind, let's, let's pray and give this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you again this, this morning as you've allowed us to gather together as your people to worship in this way as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we, as we meet with one another, as we pray together, as we encourage one another, as we hear the word preached. Father, we are grateful again for this morning, and uh, we need your help greatly. I pray, as I always do, that in spite of me, that you would work. I pray that Jesus would increase, that I would decrease that we would decrease, that your people here today would see how great and good you are in Christ. I pray that if there are non-Christians here today, that they would hear the gospel of Christ today and turn to him and be saved. I pray for Christians that you would encourage us, convict us of our sins, bring them to mind that we might consider them and repent. And uh, Father, give us great help this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I have two truths from the text, as I've already shared them. And then after that, I have four or five applications at the end. So you're going to have to hold off this morning on the applications. And I told Jade this morning, what a day to come. Apostasy and its consequences. If you are visiting today, it's not that, that, that all sermons are not serious, but the topic is especially serious this morning. But here's truth number one. The sin of apostasy. And so here we see this in this text. Simply put, if I'm going to explain or say what I believe apostasy, apostasy to be, 
I believe the sin of apostasy is to know the truth about Christ, to know that he is the Son of God, to understand what he came to do, to know what he accomplished in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and then to turn away from these truths to follow something else. And to turn away from Christ, who is the only sacrifice for our sins, the only means to be reconciled with God, the only way to have peace with God, the only way that we might have and can have for sure the wrath and judgment that our sins deserve averted, if we neglect Christ in these ways, that is what is waiting for us. And this is apostasy. If we turn away from Christ to anything else in this life, it is not sufficient. There is nothing we can do to cover our own sins. Look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And as we will see in a moment, if we do not receive Christ, notice the consequence. Verse 27, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So in order to emphasize the serious nature of apostasy, the author in this letter to Hebrews uses three phrases or word pictures that help us picture this sin of apostasy. So I'm going to go through those here quickly and give us these pictures so that we might see this this sin of apostasy. And I'll be repeating myself quite a bit here in different ways. But the first one there is, all these are in verse 29. The first word phrase he uses is to trample underfoot the Son of God. So to reject the gospel is to trample, trample. I think of a crowd coming in and folks falling down or trampling there. Or I think of, 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 of a, a nation in war takes over another nation and a king tramples over those whom he has conquered. But here the emphasis is on the person of Christ who is being trampled. And the emphasis is on who he is. Whoever forsakes the gospel, whoever abandons the gospel, whoever leaves the gospel disowns the son and sins against the Son. So in this verse, the author does not call him Jesus, as he does throughout the letter. He does not call him the Christ, as he also does. But in this verse, he not notice who he calls him. He is the Son of God. So here, in, I think by, in this word picture, he's emphasizing against whom we have committed, or those who commit apostasy, those who reject Christ, what a great sin it is to commit against such a person. And so who is this person? Well, if we look back in Hebrews, and I do this all the time, you're going to hear this again, but right with chapter 1, who is he? He is the heir of all things. He is the creator of the world, as Hebrews 1 tells us. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his own power. He is the son, the preeminent son of God who is greater than all of the angels. So when we, when we, when we have conversations with our Mormon friends, who do they believe he is? He is the first created angel, if I've got my... 
uh, my facts right. He's not a created angel. Otherwise, he wouldn't be greater than them. He is greater than the angels, very clearly. Of the Son, of the son Hebrews 1 there tells us, the Father says to him, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The work of your hands will perish, but you remain. Your years have no end. So as the Son of God, in essence, he is the same as God. He has the same essence as the Father. Not speaking about his humanity here, but in his essence, in his dignity. John Owen says, he is a divine constellation of all the, the blessed effects of infinite wisdom, goodness, grace, yea, the whole divine wisdom, goodness, and grace of God in the most glorious manifestation in them. And since this is true, to turn away from him is to turn away from who? Turn away from God. To turn away from him after knowing the truth about him is to trample under the feet. I think of a pig wallowing in the mud. What if you were to take your most precious piece of jewelry or, your most, or, or take the greatest pearl of value in all of the history of the world and just throw it down under the feet of, the, under the feet of that pig as they trample that, that precious jewel under their feet? That is what the author is saying we are doing. They were doing as they would leave Christ and go back to the old system. And if we continue to do so, any of us, without repentance, we are in danger of committing the sin of apostasy. Second word picture there, profane the blood of the covenant. In this next phrase, and he also says, by which you were sanctified, by which he was sanctified. And I'll speak to that a little bit later, but the picture here of apostasy is profaning the blood of the covenant. <clears throat> here, he's not emphasizing his person so much in his dignity. He's emphasizing what he has done as the great high priest. And so the word he uses here is common. In other words, it means to take something that is holy, like the work of Christ as the high priest, to take that work and then to consider it unholy, not good. Could you imagine, think back to the tabernacle with Israel. Could you imagine some of the people taking the lamp from the holy place and then taking it home and putting it on their lampstand and turning it on? Would they ever even imagine doing such a thing? Or to take the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies and I'll take that down and go home and use it in my home and cover up my windows with such a holy piece there such as the curtain or any other tabernacle part that we could think of to take something that is holy, set apart as holy, and then to use it as something that is common. That is what he's talking about here. This is what the sin of apostasy does. It takes that which is holy, namely the sacrifice of Christ, and treats it as common. And again, we're going to come back to that, but may it not be ever said that any of us would ever do such a thing and to move away from the person and work of Christ in such a way to make such things common. Such are those, though, who know the truth of the sacrifice of Christ and his work on the cross, and they treat it as common. This is the sin of apostasy. 
Such are those who know that the blood of Jesus fulfills the old covenant and ushers in the new covenant with all of its benefits. This is to commit apostasy. Third picture we have there. Outraged the spirit of grace. This is the final phrase, which emphasizes not the sin against the person, not the sin against what Christ has done in his sacrifice, but to emphasize the sin against the work of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. So not only does, <clears throat> does this person neglect those things, he also neglects the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 29. And has outraged the spirit of grace. So what does this mean? Well, A.W. Pink, he's probably become one of my favorite um, commentators for the book of Hebrews, says that this particular sin is the greatest of them all. And he says that because of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 10. He says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So let me try and explain what I think this means. If you go back to the Old Testament, the prophets looked forward to a time when the Spirit would be poured out and would work in a particular way to, to, to say to the world and to the people of this world, I have sent my son, this is him. And so the Holy Spirit was to come and to point people to Christ. And so, <clears throat> I'm just gonna give one example. Zechariah, this is what he says as he looks forward to the new covenant and the coming of the Spirit. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, which is the same words used by our author, and pleas for mercy. So when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. I believe this is the work of the Holy Spirit now in the world, but in the, particularly in the new covenant. John chapter 16, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when he comes, if you remember that, what will he do? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the supreme work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the glory of God in the Son. And those who know Jesus is the Son of God, those who know what he did, on the cross, those who know these things are true and yet reject them are the ones who commit this great sin of apostasy. And let me just say a little parentheses. Those who commit this one particularly are those in that context who heard the word more often. And so here we are week after week after week after week after week and we hear these words more often. So brothers and sisters, beware of such a sin very clearly. Now, of course, when we go back and we look at the context, the greatest example is the religious leaders of Jesus' day, those who were committing the sin of apostasy. I would equate that ultimately to the sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But those religious leaders saw his works. 
They heard him teach. They knew he was from God. But then what did they say about him? They said, your works are from who? Your works are from Satan. Your works are from the devil. It's Matthew 12. At the end of the day, they knew he was from God, yet they rejected him. In the same way, with our context in Hebrews, to know he is the high priest and the fulfillment of God's promises in the new covenant, which has been revealed by the Holy Spirit, and then to turn back again to that old system and leave the Son of God is to commit apostasy. And this is the warning our author presents to those Hebrew Christians, and even to us today. And I'll come back again, and we're going to apply that. But that is the sin of apostasy, okay? Let's move on to truth number two, consequence of apostasy. What is it? Greg talked about it this morning. We're talking about the judgment of God upon the cross, laid out, uh, poured out upon the Son. But those who reject the Son will be judged. Great judgment. And we see this throughout the passage. Look at verse 27. Here's what awaits. A fearful expectation, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Look at verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved? Look at verse 30. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Finally, in verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In my estimation, it's hard to find a more serious combination of words on the subject of judgment than what we find here in the book of Hebrews. In this passage, I believe the author is using Old Testament Israel during the time of Moses, as we've seen throughout the book, to make his point. He quotes two verses from the song of Moses that was sung and delivered in Deuteronomy. We have it given to us right before Moses dies. So it's a, it's a big psalm, it's a song, it's a poem where Moses recalls all kinds of things about God. He recalls his mercy, his grace to, God, to his people, but he also recalls his judgment and his wrath upon those who do not obey his covenant. So when we think about the Hebrews during Moses' time, what was the majority, where was the majority of their time spent? Do you remember? Wandering where? In the desert. Why? Why were they wandering in the desert for 40 years, 38 years there, after two initial years when they did not enter the land? Because of disobedience. Now, to put that into context, even worse than just as Paul says about himself, I received mercy because I did my sin ignorantly. My unbelief was an ignorant sin because I'm not going to go into it this morning, but there is a, a difference in the Old Testament between high-handed sins that there was no, and we talked about this, no sacrifice that would cover and those who were committed un unintentionally. See, those in the desert, they saw his works. All of the, 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 the great things that God did to bring them out of Egypt, and they saw them. They saw the water part there and God deliver them again. They saw all the, the ways that God provided for them in those first couple years. 
They knew, they understood the words of his covenant that if you obey me, you will live. Nothing's changed. Yet in that time, what did they do? They disobeyed and rejected him after having seen all of that. And what happened? Well, that generation perished in the desert except for Joshua and Caleb. What a great judgment that was brought upon Israel and, well, and the Hebrews of that time. What a great judgment that was. They died in the desert. Now look at verse 29. He says, for those who reject the Son, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved for those who reject not Moses and his words, but the very Son of God? who he is, what he did, and then to insult and outrage the spirit of grace in the new covenant. I think what he's doing here, he's arguing from lesser to greater. In the old covenant, they rejected the words of Moses. Yeah, they were rejecting God, but they rejected the words of Moses. And they rejected his covenant, the old covenant, and they perished in the desert. But in the new covenant, we have a full revelation of God to us through the Son. We, we see that right from the beginning. Hebrews 1, look back there with me, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, which sets the tone for the entire book. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The first 10 chapters of Hebrews is about the Son, His person, His work, what He has done as He is the promise of God, the complete fulfillment of the old covenant, the old system under Moses. He is the final sacrifice. When Christ laid down His life as a sacrifice for sins on the cross, He was the final sacrifice. Sacrifice. All the old animal sacrifices were not sufficient. They could not take care of the conscience. They could not take care of the guilt. They could not cleanse us in all of what the new covenant does and what happens now to us. All of these things. And so he is using lesser to greater to show how much worse a punishment there will be. Today, Jesus is the true high priest and he is after the order of Melchizedek. Look at verses 19 to 23 with me again. This is us today, those who believe on the Lord Jesus, those who trust in his gospel. Therefore, brothers and brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great high priest, <clears throat> Over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For those who do not hold fast, but instead reject the Son, I repeat the words from chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a what? 
great salvation, famous words. So he is comparing earthly judgment in the, de in, in the desert with heavenly judgment. If the judgment of Israel in the desert was severe and they died in the desert, how much more severe must be the punishment of those who reject the gospel of Christ? So in the desert, we might liken it to just capital punishment. But here we see divine punishment. There is an eternal punishment. Robert, you said it this morning, the second death, eternal punishment. How much worse what they got there and what we will get if we neglect the son. A.W. Pink says this, even as I, I believe there, it's very mysterious to me, but I believe there's certainly going to be degrees of punishment in hell. But A.W. Pink says this, listen to these words. Every despiser of the Lordship of Christ shall yet discover that a far hotter place has been reserved for him in hell than what will be the portion of lawless rebels who lived under the old covenant. <laughs> Even Jesus says what you're doing now is much worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Some people say that, if you, and you've probably heard this, that in the Old Testament, we see a God of judgment. But in the New Testament, we see a God of love. I mean, I guess there's, there's some truth, some bit of truth to that, but after reading these words this morning, how would you answer that question? If you had to, 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 to speak with your neighbors who say, yeah, he was a God of judgment back in those days, but these days he's the God of love. I, I think it should be the opposite. Yeah, his judgment's gonna be exact. To use a word we, we hear in our culture, it will be equity to the nth degree. It will be exact, but there will be greater punishment for those who know and reject the Son of God. So the only reason that we are here today is because of the loving forbearance of God as he waits for his people to come in and then final judgment is coming. And so with that in mind, there's our two truths. Sin of apostasy, I hope you've gotten that, and then judgment, what is to come. With that in mind, I want to just spend the rest of our time making some comments and some applications for us. First comment, though, about this passage in general. I believe these warnings are for Christians. And I've made that clear as I've gone through Hebrews <clears throat> because we have lots of warnings in the book of Hebrews, okay? And chapter 6 and chapter 10 tend to be the, the most difficult for a preacher or pastor to exegete and to look at, but, the, but they're still there and the warnings are the same. I believe they are for Christians. Now, I say that because there are many who would say this, pas this passage says that, shows that, yes, a true Christian, someone who has the Holy Spirit, can fall away. Therefore, you can lose your salvation. Well, I do not believe that true Christians will ever commit apostasy. I certainly believe for sure that those, there are some who profess Christ 
and then we'll fall away. Doesn't Jesus say to many on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and, this and that and cast out demons and heal the sick and did we not visit you in prison and do these things? And he's going to say to them on that last day, I never knew you. you those were professors. I, I, I agree 100% with that. But I believe these are written to Christians because in all of the warnings in the book of Hebrews, this is the context of the book. I'll go through these more in a moment, but in all of these passages, the, the author, he writes to Christians and he writes and even includes himself. Look at chapter six, verse nine also, because as you turn, as you're looking back at chapter six, verse nine, the author, even though he gives all these warnings, after a couple of them, he gives us these kinds of words. Look at chapter 6, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, in other words, though today we are reading these words and hearing these words spoke to us by God here in, in, in the word, in this great warning to us, though we are being spoken to in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Also, chapter 10, verse 39 says, if you want to flip over there, just on the same page, chapter 10, verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere or pres <clears throat> preserve their souls. Again, we don't have the time this morning to recount all the truths in the Bible that teach that those whom God saves can never be lost. Go back and read the book of John. Just start at chapter 10. I've got them in my hand. I am in the Father's hand. The Father will lose none of them. We could just go on and on and on. Those whom the Father gives to the Son, I will raise them up on the last day. We, we could go to Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good to those who love him are called according to his purpose. And he says, those whom he, you know, predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. We, go we, we could go through so many things that are really clear on this topic about someone who has the Holy Spirit to know that they will be kept. And so we cannot take these verses and then, which are somewhat in some ways unclear to interpret all of the, the passages of scripture that are very clear. We must do the, 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 the other way around. So I don't have time this morning, but I think of the words of John when he speaks of the context of Judas. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now, I realize there are differing views on these warning passages with many saying that, you know, again, a person can lose their salvation. I don't, I don't agree with that. And we can talk about that more. But others say that these words were written to a mixed community of believers and non-believers in the church, mostly our Presbyterian friends. Now, that also, from a manner of speaking, is true because I, I'm not going to be so naive to sit here and think that some of us here have professed Christ, but yet there is absolutely no fruit in our lives and there is no Holy Spirit. So I, I, I understand that to be the case. Nevertheless, I believe these words are for Christians, not necessarily a mixed community, though that is true. I believe these words are for Christians. 
So let me try to explain that a little bit more by our next application. Application is this. The warnings in the book of Hebrews are one of the means God uses to keep us from apostasy. This is the view that I take on this. That's why I believe they're written for Christians. That's why I believe they are serious. If you're sitting here listening, they're serious. And we should do that. They're like warning signs on the road. I've said this before. Curve is coming. So what do you want to do? You want to take it easy. Slow down to 25. Take it easy around the curve. Because if you don't, what are you going to do? You're going to go right through the curve. Railroad crossing. We don't, when the railroad crossing comes down, we don't, I'm going to go right through that. I hope you don't. Because you will suffer the consequences. Caution. There are signs like this, like the top of a cliff that says, you know, there's a curve. Don't go straight. You'll go off the cliff. Or there's a bridge out. If we disobey these signs, what will happen to us? None of us deny those things. We will suffer the consequences of disobedience. So this means that the warning of judgment is God's means for us. Today, as Christian, there is a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire for those who reject the Son. And so th- this is a mystery. I often look at my own life and go, wow, look at my sin. And look at my lack of faith and my lack of works. We do this in our elders' meetings and we go, man, there's, do you feel that? Am I really? Christian, I want to come back to that. But these words are for us as we consider these warning signs. And they are a means that God gives to us in his grace. Another application. We must take these warning signs serious. Practically, I think this is the author's point, practically, of writing Hebrews. To warn those who are going to go back to the old system and reject the Son of God. And if we go through the book, I've said this before, but there are five main warning passages. Okay, there's, we're in the fourth one. There's one more to come. It just seems that six and ten are the most serious because they're the longest. But look back with me. Chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the first one. Here's our warning that we must take serious. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. We must do that. What you heard today, pay close attention. It is your responsibility when you come to church, if you are old enough and you have a mind, to sit and listen and take serious what you are hearing. Even if it is week in and week out. Even if I am boring. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. These are the words of God and they are serious for us. Look back at chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Take care, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Could that be any of us here? Take care, brothers and sisters. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. He says, you have become dull of hearing. Do you ever find yourself becoming dull of hearing? 
You, you do. And I, if you're like me, all of these, you can check them off. But then I hear them and I go, thank you, God, for this sign. Thank you for what I'm hearing in the word week by week and what I'm reading in my word when I go into my prayer closet. Thank you for these things. Look at chapter 12, verse 25. We're skipping. <clears throat> I'm, anyway, 12:25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. It's not talking about me speaking. It's talking about God speaking. For if they did not escape, and in this context, the Holy Spirit, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. We have this in, in chapter 6. We have this in our current passage. These warnings must motivate us to godliness. These warnings must motivate us to tell other people about Jesus. These warnings must motivate us to, as we saw last week, stir one another up for works, for good works, and love one another. That's what these warnings are supposed to do in us. So if you find yourself today and you know these things are not true and you find yourself falling away and you find yourself dull of hearing, then I would say to you, repent. Turn from those sins and say, God, have mercy upon me. I know that Christ is the sacrifice for my sins. And if you do, when you do in repentance, know that Christ has covered your sins. That's what the gospel is. Another application, kind of going along with what I've already been saying. Apostasy begins somewhere. It's often small sins leading to big sins. And all of us know what that's like, especially if you're older, you know what it's like. I, I, I could go on and on about little sins that lead, and I find myself going down, but then I come back. I find myself going down, and I come back. But little sins lead to big sins, which in our context here would lead to the meeting together of God's people. I'm concerned with that in, in our world for those who call themselves Christians with how the meeting times of God's people. Now, it doesn't say anything about just missing one or two or three periodically. It says they completely forsake, forsook the gathering of God's people. But it starts somewhere. And if you find yourself putting other things before the meeting together of God's people on a regular basis, then maybe this is a small sin to, for you to think, man, it's God speaking to me today. Think of the healthy person who little by little neglects the means to health. Really healthy person, but then you, you all of a sudden you're gonna eat potato chips and, and drink you know, carbonated drinks all the time, and then you just fill yourself with sugar. What's gonna happen over a period of time? And you, you neglect your, your exercising. What, what's gonna happen? Well, eventually you're gonna get unhealthy, but it doesn't, nobody intends to do that. Starts out somewhere. I, I don't know who said this. We always, you've heard this before. It says this saying, either you, you kill sin or it will kill you. And A.W. Pink says that the seed of eternal death, the seed is in all of us because it is sin. And that's always our problem. And it is only by God's means of grace that we continue to grow. 
Meet, therefore, I would say to us, meet with God's people regularly as we preach and teach and pray and sing, take the Lord's supper, supper and baptize as we stir one another up for love and good works. Don't neglect the reading of your Bible in your, in your, in your quiet time and in your closet and in your prayer. That's, to me, that's the, the biggest for me. I'm so distracted. And I, and I, I, I have fear when I read these words, when I think about my spiritual laziness in that area. But we must daily repent of our sins. And something else, we see this throughout the New Testament. Paul says, do not forget to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Isn't that what's happening? If you're listening to this preaching this morning, when you look at your own sin, is it not evoking some fear and trembling? Because it sure does with me. In other words, work it out. Look at your life. See what's going on. See the little sins that, that I don't want them to go to the big ones. He says, well, Peter says this, do not forget that you must confirm your calling and your election. Make that sure. It's basically saying the same thing. Do not be the person who has a According to Paul, to Timothy, a form of godliness, but denies the power of the gospel. God is always sovereign, but we are always responsible. Great mystery, but very clear. Final application, the necessity of repentance. Again, I've said this already, but there is no sin that cannot be forgiven when a person is repentant. So you're saying, have I committed this sin of apostasy? Are you repentant? Are you confessing your sins to God? And this is very serious. Let me, let me read what A.W. Pink says in his commentary on these verses. And this is a long quote, and I'll make a comment after. But he says, all around us are professing Christians, sinning with a high hand against God. And that's very serious, to know you are sinning and you do it. Anyway, wow, I, that's hard. He says, all around us are professing Christians sinning with a high hand against God, and yet not, and yet suffering from no qualms of conscience. Oh, I, I hope that, that will not be of any of us. And why, he says, because while they believe that some millennial crown or reward may be forfeited should they fail to deny self and daily take up their cross and follow Christ, yet they have not the slightest realization or fear that they are hastening to hell as swiftly as time wings its flight. Then he says with an exclamation point, horrible blasphemy. Dear reader, make no mistake upon this point. Suffer no false prophet to cause you to believe the contrary. The blood of Christ covers no sins that have not been truly repented of and confessed to God with a broken heart. And I know there's a mysterious line there because I do believe it is a, as Luther nailed to the door the very first uh, theses there that all of life is one of repentance. It is a, because there, there are many sins that I believe that even the, the, the scripture says, teach me what my sins are, Lord. I don't know them. Show me my heart. 
So we do have that in the Bible. And so there are things that we're, ways we're sinning that, that won't come to light till next week or next year or five years if God tarries and gives, whatever it is. And so I know that is, it's, it's, it's mysterious, but the, the key is repentance. Then Pink goes on to say that presumptuous sins are not easily repented of. And I get that. And these kinds of sins that we know we commit, what do they do to our hearts? They harden our hearts for the next time. And they make it steal against God. So may it not be so here at Grace. And in God's church everywhere, at the end of the day, we are great sinners. I feel that I am, as Paul, the foremost when I look at my sins. But Christ is a great Savior. So let me end with the words from 1 John 1, verse 9, all the way to chapter 2, verse 1. You know these words. And this is the end of, of our sermon and our application. And I say to all of us, look unto Christ. If you are not a Christian, turn to him and be saved. If you are a Christian, just in a spirit of repentance, trust him who covers your sins. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him into a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. If any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words this morning. Very serious words on apostasy. Pray that you would give us great grace as we live out our lives as Christians. Thank you for the warning signs this morning. May we continue to give the warning signs and may we continue to take heed to the warning signs in the, in the scriptures that you've given to us. Thank you for giving them to us. And we know that all of your promises are yes in Christ. And I pray that today... Christ would be more beautiful to us as we, in repentance and faith we look unto him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.